Hello and welcome to another episode of The Scrum, WGBH News' political podcast. I'm Adam Riley, and I'm joined today at the Boston Public Library by my colleague Peter Kadzis. Peter, hello. Great to be here with you, Adam. And I'm joined, I'm delighted to say, by Boston City Councilor Tito Jackson, who represents District 7 and is seeking to become the next mayor of the city. He's trying to unseat incumbent Marty Walsh. Councilor Jackson, thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. Good to have you back. What was it? You were here last when we were talking charter schools, if memory serves? Yes, sir. And there's a little less crowd engagement for now than there was that particular day. Well, every, every, Peter has so many fans, so we never yeah, know. That's true. We never, never that's know what true. might happen. So I got to start out, Tito, by asking you about what seems to me to have been a kind of a rough start to your week as an uh, elected official and someone seeking higher office. Uh, the Boston Globe ran a story detailing work that you had done in the mid-2000s marketing an opioid medication Mm -hmm. intended for cancer patients. The implication of that story, as I read it, was that because of this part of your resume, you lack the moral standing to talk about issues involving addiction. And, uh, sorry, I held up my finger to keep you from hopping in there because I I just want to add to this and then get you to talk about these two things in tandem. And then... You were involved in an incident with a WGBH reporter, a colleague of Peter's and mine, who was asking you about that story. Mm -hmm. Uh, As I understand it, and I wasn't there, you moved her arm and microphone away from you as she was asking you a question. You have since apologized to her. That apology has been accepted. So my question for you is, Mm -hmm. as you look back with a little bit of distance on these two things that started your week, what do you think about them? So first, I want to take the second question uh, first. Uh, As uh, a man and as someone uh, in my position, I know better. Um, I uh, apologized, and and I want to thank the reporter for giving me uh, the gracious opportunity to apologize uh, to her personally. Um, I absolutely, um, uh, the the work that reporters do uh, is so important. Um, and um, I, I believe that she deserved an apology, um, and, and I apologize uh, to her. On the topic of um, my work, uh, so I, I, I find it um, interesting. So that uh, my LinkedIn page was actually quoted, um, but, and I, it, there's no secret that uh, I did pharmaceutical sales and marketing um, through the first part of my career. I'm actually very proud of the experience that I had in the private sector. Uh, it gave me a great deal of training, a great deal of understanding, and in particular, uh, when I work, uh, worked at Alpharma, uh, it, I worked with amazing doctors who cared about their patients and were trying to do uh, the best job that they could uh, in prescribing uh, pain medication for uh, cancer patients and for people at end of, uh, end of life. Um, these are some of the most talented and caring individuals uh, possible uh, that, that I ever met. I would note, uh, we know a lot more now than we did in the mid-2000s about, uh, o- uh, about opioid addiction, about uh, long-term pain management uh, and care. And so I think um, there, again, when, when I was there, 
all of the work that I did uh, was uh, in marketing uh, to physicians um, with an FDA indication, which was uh, above board at, at all times. Um, I think that there is a lot for us to learn uh, in terms of how do we help people and how we actually uh, deal with issues of uh, addiction. Um, and, and how do we do that? I, I think one of the things that we have to do in the city of Boston is ensure that we uh, provide more beds for those who are in need. And in fact, um, in uh, Mayor Walsh's uh, current uh, administration, they are uh, allowing uh, beds for HIV-positive, uh, opioid-addicted uh, residents who are homeless. Um, those beds are actually going to, going to be going away, and I've been in contact with those individuals, and we're doing a hearing next week uh, on Monday uh, to talk about, um, I'm sorry, Tuesday, uh, to talk about uh, that issue. Um, How many of those beds are going to be eliminated? So um, there is, from the people I've spoken to, uh, at least 40, um, but there are two programs. Um, one, the, the, 20, the, the only beds in the city of Boston that are for HIV-positive uh, immunocompromised um, uh, opioid uh, user uh, o- opioid uh, uh, users um, who are homeless are, are these beds um, and they 're going to be going away so I, I think there 's a lot of work that we can do uh, on uh, detox beds um, in addition, we have a lot of work to do around education um, as well as ensuring uh, that we have needle safety in the city of Boston. Um, I think there's a, a critical component there. But if we're not talking about resources for beds, um, detox, and aftercare, uh, as well as surround care for those people who get permanent uh, placements in housing, uh, then we're not having a serious conversation. And so you know, I, I uh, look back on my uh, experience in the private sector, and I, I got to work for uh, three uh, companies while I, well, th- uh, th- three companies in the uh, biotech, pharmaceutical, uh, and uh, life science space, and then uh, got to uh, work at a startup company in healthcare also. And I'm, I'm very proud of my work. I would also just note um, the private sector. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a career politician. Um, I've actually uh, spent time in the private sector. I can read a balance sheet. I can read a pro, pro forma. Um, and those skill sets have helped me uh, think about how I do the work, and they will guide me in the work that I do as mayor of the city of Boston did next you, year. Did you read that story mm-hmm. as sort of a brushback pitch that was planted by someone from the Walsh administration in an effort to get you to not criticize the mayor's record on issues involving addiction? I, you know what? I, I, I don't know where uh, stories come from. Uh, I, I'm not going to make uh, any uh, assertions or guesses. Um, I would just simply uh, state that I think it's an absolute misread uh, to uh, pin um, the, uh, the whole industry's uh, actions um, retroactively with the information that we have, we know, and are uh, much more researched now uh, than occurred uh, at, at that time. Um, and so uh, I, I know that uh, all of the products that I sold uh, throughout my career actually help people have better lives, uh, take care of themselves better, and uh, to live with better quality uh, of life. And so um, I, I, don't, uh, I, I don't have... Um, uh, actually, no, the only thing I would have loved to have done is um, to get into uh, serve, uh, government service a, a little bit earlier. But I, during the time that I w- worked with all of those companies, um, I actually volunteered outside. Um, and most of the companies that I worked for actually uh, really were invested 
in community service and gave us the time to actually continue to do, uh, do the work that I am doing for my living uh, right now. Uh, counselor, I, I'd like to switch the subject and talk about another complicated issue, um, which is race. Um, Renee Graham wrote a fascinating and I guess somewhat controversial piece in the Globe recently about Boston and how race is perceived. Is Boston a racist city? Yeah. I'm oversimplifying because the, the, the piece was more subtle than that. But it really got me thinking, and, and I sort of wanted to share my thinking with you and pose a question at the end of it. Um, to me, it seems like this, the city of Boston is, simply put, split into two large groups. You know, those people who grew up with the, um, the tensions and crises that in, experienced firsthand the, the crisis of um, uh, busing and school desegregation. And those, those people tend to be a little older, like myself. Then there's younger people, such as yourself, who were around, but, you, you know, out of the, you know, not old enough to appreciate it. And then, of course, Boston's a city full of newcomers. But, you know, if you, if you accept my oversimplification, race is an important part of almost uh, any political discussion in America in general and urban America in particular. But how does a candidate like you reach both groups? Because mm -hmm. I think there are... Um, uh, I, I think people my age um, look at the issues. We may all share similar values, but we look at the issues differently. And simply put, it may be a half full versus half empty. You, you know, but, but what so, do you think? Am I crazy? Well, or? well that, uh, we, we we cover pre-existing conditions, so that, that's 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 okay. <laughs> Ooh, we we, that's we, we we've been we've been doing that for a long time. And uh, so let, let's say this: you can't fix what what you don't face. Issues of race. Uh, gender uh, equity, uh, issues around homophobia, uh, issues around uh, 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 re religious um, hatred, those are still very real and present. And we need to be open to hear, uh, hear those, um, to deal with them as soon as uh, we, we see them, and uh, to call them out for what they are. But let's look at uh, the city of Boston through uh, this very real lens of uh, closing the gap in disparities. And so my slogan for my campaign is hashtag we are Boston. And my shameless plug for my website is titojacksonformayor.com. But <laughs> we are Boston uh, really looks at all 23 neighborhoods having amazing schools and educational opportunities to close the, uh, the uh, gap relative to opportunity and achievement, uh, which we know is uh, one that uh, is very pronounced uh, amongst uh, young, young children of color. Um, it is one where we're dealing with huge issues in every single neighborhood across uh, racial lines uh, around uh, issues around uh, housing and, and displacement and people getting pushed out. But there are some very real stark uh, reasons that I'm, I'm running. We're, we're in the back bay right now. And so from back bay to Roxbury, and I have a little tip of, tip of the back bay in my district, two miles apart, there's a 33-year difference in life expectancy in it's the city of Boston. It's only two miles 
from where we're sitting right now to Roxbury? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Right? And so 33-year difference in life expectancy. Um, In terms of the disparities that we see in wealth in the city of Boston, uh, the Boston Fed came out with a report called The Color of Wealth. And that report noted uh, that there's a disparity um, very pronounced between uh, black families and white families, $247,500 median net worth of a white family and uh, a median net worth for black families of $8. If we're not willing to to call these things out um, and to deal with them, then we will never move forward. We will never uh, progress. We live in America. Uh, Racism is real. Um, It is still present. Um, And how do we fix it? By the way, we fix it. One of the ways that we fix it is doing exactly what, you, what we're doing yep, right no, that's now. That's true. Is having conversations. And by the way, we need to ha- do something that we're not often willing to do uh, in these conversations. We need to be real in the conversations that we're talking about. We also need to be able to take, uh, take a, a, a zing and understand that I, I might have uh, made a mistake earlier this week, and I did, Right. I should be able to apologize and then to continue, uh, uh, continue to try to do, do the work. That conversation should also be the case in, uh, in a situation where someone uh, has an issue with race. If you make a mistake, we have to have the conversation and then be willing, able, and strong enough and Boston strong enough to actually be able to move forward and actually continue to have the conversations and close these gaps that, that actually occur in the city of Boston. Let me push this point. Uh, I'm not disagreeing with anything you said. Yep. Let me just broaden the point a bit. Yes. Um, um, I think one great difference today in the 21st century from back in the 20th century is I think all of us are more sophisticated and understand that it, it's not that there's a strong economic component, and you spoke very eloquently to that, to these discrepancies. But in your, in your candidacy for yeah. mayor, yeah. There's, there's many of these issues are so far outside the remit of, of the mayor of Boston. Now, the mayor of Boston is an incredibly, is probably the most powerful public official in the, in the state, within the confines of his or her area. But but so many of these economic forces um, and trends are outside the control of the mayor or the city council. Well, so I I actually don't agree with you there. Uh, Development is completely in the hands of the BRA, in terms of their approvals, so hey, se- that's the B. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm no. still a BRA no, I'm guy sorry. myself. No, I'm sorry. For uh, for over six hundred dollars, there was one letter added, and so <laughs> uh, it, it is now. So for a l- little bit over six hundred thousand dollars, you get one letter, and you get an addition to your acronym. It's now called. I'm sorry. It's called the BPDA. Um, Boston the, Planning and yes, Boston or the BPDA, worst BPDA, Boston Planning and Development. Yes, the worst the money ever spent. And that's some really expensive letterhead. Um, And so it does not change that the organization is developing and displacing people at the same time. We need to have a a more thoughtful thoughtful plan. So I know that the the words plan and develop are in there, but the operative word in the city of Boston is development. The the $4,000 and $5,000 a month two-bedrooms that are being built don't meet the needs of the vast majority of people in Boston. 50% 50% of people in Boston make, make $35,000 or less. So when we build buildings um, that are they're beautiful, 
Um, but development is not only about buildings, it's about people, it's about families, and it's about community. And so under a Jackson administration, what you would see is uh, an increase of affordable housing from 13% re- required affordable housing for uh, over 10 units um, to 20% uh, affordable housing. You would also see a modification in terms of the definition of what is affordable. As I noted before, 50% of people make $35,000 or less. The typical affordable unit, and say that building right there, is about $65,000. So wait, sixty five thousand uh, dollars. You need to make sixty five. Got it. Got it. It's it's there's a a, a unit called AMI, which is the uh, area median income, and seventy percent of the AMI is about is about sixty five thousand. Well, fifty percent of people make thirty five thousand or less. Right. We're got not it. meeting the needs of uh, the vast majority of people uh, in in the city of Boston. So we need to be more uh, aggressive in that space and dealing with families working-class people, and ensuring that uh, we don't... I don't want to wake up and end up San Francisco or Paris where there's no uh, middle-class or working-class in, in the city of Boston. They all live out, outside of the city. That's why we are all Boston. So there's one example of an area where you say there's a lot of local potential to craft policies that have an impact on issues involving race. I want to uh, just go back to that column that Peter mentioned at the outset, uh, the Renee Graham column in the Globe, because that was hooked to this statement made by an SNL, Saturday Night Live, comedian Michael Shea, who said that Boston was the most racist city he'd ever visited, right? I think yes. words to that effect. Yeah, pretty close. What yeah. was your reaction, Tito, as, as a African-American man yeah. who calls Boston home and as a Boston partisan who wants to run the city? When you heard he had said that, what was your take? Um, it's something I've heard a million times. Um, when you when you speak to uh, people of color around the the uh, nation, many of them have that feeling about Boston. But uh, it, it's one of the things that motivates me most. I know my city. I also know what I have to offer uh, to the city, and I also know what Boston has given me. And so, um, a couple pieces. I think it one means that when we show the city of Boston. We need to show all 23 neighborhoods. We need to feature all of the assets that are in all 23 neighborhoods. And, and, and it's beautiful down here. And, and, and WGBH has a nice, a beautiful studio here. But there's amazing things happening in, in East Boston. There's great uh, art and culture happening in Roxbury. You know, um, we're getting a, a new studio actually just, open, up and running in Fields Corner. So. Okay, okay. So, so just, th- that's great. That and up. so that's the other, the other component needs to be that we need to show all of all of Boston, and we need to also let people know um, that uh, the the city of Boston is open open uh, and welcome uh, for everyone. The other piece that we we also need to walk the walk. We need to ensure that businesses uh, and the spending of the city, which currently is not diverse, less than two percent of the over a billion dollars in contracts uh, goes to pe- uh, businesses owned by uh, people uh, people of color. They make up 53% of the city of Boston. Well, we're not saying that, we're, that, that Boston is open uh, and, and inclusive. So I think uh, how we fix and address um, the, what Michael Che said is listen, learn, and we individually, collectively in, in our homes and our families and in our communities need to deal with uh, the issues. And, and again, you, do, you can't fix what you don't face. So just so I'm absolutely clear on this, do you yeah. think Michael Che was right? The, I, would, I would simply say, excuse me, that racism does exist in Boston. 
sexism does exist in Boston. Homophobia does exist in Boston. Just because we're a state, by, by the way, just because we're a state that uh, was very progressive, was the first in saying you can marry who you want, who, who you want and love who you want to love, we still have some folks that don't embrace everybody here. So again, these issues are, are not issues that we should be reactionary. But he on. didn't. I mean, he didn't say. And then I'll I'll, no, I'll no, leave this one alone in just what? a second. But no, I mean, Michael Che didn't say, you know, there is racism and sexism and homophobia in Boston. He said Boston's the most racist city I've ever been in. So I guess I'm wondering if you so, were in the room or if you were sitting across the table from him when he made that statement, what would you have said? Well, well, I I, I would I would listen to him. Um, I would tell them about my experience uh, in Boston. But I'm, I'm not going to, again, how we deal with when someone s- says uh, that there's an issue of racism, we have to listen to that. We have to, no, we have to understand it. And, we, and by the way, the realities are stark. If we're not willing to deal with the, the uh, economic outcomes, right? Because it's not what, to me, what's most important is not only what's being said, is, is the reality. As I told you, we sit here in Back Bay and two miles down the street in Roxbury, people live to 58.9 years old. Understand the life expectancy in Roxbury is lower than that of Gambia and of Iraq. That's the city t- that, we, that we live in. Those and are so, two numbers I, I, yeah. I, I hadn't heard and, before. And, that, and, and, the, and, and, and Back Bay, people live to 91.9. So the question has to be, what do we do in the city of Boston? And as mayor, I will deal with health care disparities. I will work to ensure that our young people, I, I, I was at a school last week, our young people are eating food that is, uh, to me, uh, almost an, an inedible. I will deal with those issues. I, I as mayor, uh, will ensure that we have schools that work for everybody, that we fully fund the Boston uh, public schools and in and, and this budget. Um, that's not actually happening. And I, I do want to note, I appreciate the increases in uh, the, the budget, but the Boston public schools are year over year being underfunded. And I, the Madison Park Vocational Technical High School, which is our only voc school, is actually being underfunded again this year. A million dollars is being cut for the McCormick School. There was no restoration of funds for the autistic students who had their funds cut the trauma students who had their funds cut. And so with the, the bundle of riches that we have, we have to deal with the economic disparities and, and uh, the disparities in, uh, in, in outcomes uh, based on uh, race, class, and gender. Peter Kansas, I see you wanting to get in well, here. Well, yeah, first, and I'm going to ask you not to comment on this because I have a larger question, but you've hit on what I think is my favorite, unfortunately, criticism of the Boston schools, the the sorry, the sad, the almost non-existent state of vocational education in Boston, which is truly a disgrace. But let me ask another education-related issue. The Boston public schools have for 40 years been losing population. Um, Not blaming anyone. Things have changed. You know, there have been big demographic shifts. Um, No mayor including the current mayor, certainly Mayor Menino didn't ever come to grips with the issue that we have this vast excess capacity. Now, I know that it it seems that you you might agree with the mayor that we don't need to close schools. 
So it, it, it just strikes me that we have fewer students today than we had years ago. Well, so I, I can't, I, I, I'm 41, so I can't speak for before that. But what I will, will note is simply this. Um, one, uh, the, the mayor commissioned a study uh, by McKinsey. Another six hundred thousand dollars, which hasn't been fully released. Well, and sadly, we should we should get our. I hope we kept a receipt because uh, Mayor Walsh's study from McKenzie was an absolute waste. Um, and we should get our money back. And I, I would not do those types of, of studies because what we found uh, in the the recent uh, data around uh, school buildings is that. Um, you know what? There's actually not enough room in the Boston public schools, and the po- population is well. There's there's something called the, the census, Peter. And so no, we're, no, we're looking, I know. I we're just find at the I, census, I, I, census I, data, I and need... and at the and by the way, at the same time as the McKenzie study was being released, I had I, I had information that showed exactly the data that we actually have uh, right now. But to your to your last point around vocational education, we need to fully fund vocational education, and a Jackson administration. You will also see a K-12 curriculum for computer science so the young people in the city of Boston have an opportunity to plug into the 1.4 million open jobs in computing uh, by 2020. You will also see full restoration of art as well as music programs in the Boston public schools. We've been taking away so many of the things that make our young people unique. Uh, make them successful and give them an opportunity uh, to to uh, do great things. The other uh, piece that you would also uh, see from me uh, when it comes to uh, the schools is that you would actually see uh, an elected school committee, and uh, you would see uh, you would see us uh, bring people to the table uh, and do and participate in this thing that uh, is really important to the state of Massachusetts because we started it called democracy. And we're the only community in, I should say we like I live in the city, I just pretend I do in conversations like this. Boston, the only community, right, in Massachusetts? Boston is the audit. 351 cities and towns, we are the only one that deny our residents and don't trust the residents of the city of Boston to participate in the administration of their school system. And in addition to uh, having an elected school committee, I would actually have two voting members who are uh, 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 subject matter experts called students. Just one, you make a very strong point, and I'm, I'm responding to your point because Adam wants to do that. I have to say, as someone who lived through the, the worst years of the Boston Public Schools, they were brought to you by an elected school committee. But your point, you make a compelling point. Well, you're the point. one who told me, is that, well, by the way, um, as mayor, I, I can guarantee you we'll have the best years. So we, uh, the worst years are behind us. Uh, the years of uh, spending money on the Olympics and potentially bankrupting the city of Boston, uh, that will be behind us. Uh, the years of, uh, of um, having uh, failed court cases against uh, the, the casino that was uh, going to occur and wasting $2.9 million, uh, those days are behind us. And the years of IndyCar, um, those days are, are behind us. We are working towards a Boston that works for all, a city of Boston that provides equity, opportunity and access for everyone in all 23 neighborhoods and it won't matter how big how, how many uh, commas you have in your bank account um, we need to ensure uh, that the Boston the city of Boston is here for everybody Tito I know you got to run fairly soon to a couple public events but I really want to get you to tell me what it's been like to run for mayor at this particular political moment in mm-hmm. our nation's yep. history and a couple weeks ago at the St. Patrick's Day breakfast, there was a lot of joking about how little attention your mayoral bid was yeah. getting. 
Uh, Linda Dorsina Forey joked about how Mayor Walsh is running against Donald Trump. Yeah. There was that video that Governor Baker put together where he calls you uh, when he can't get anyone else to talk to him, and so he gives you a ring and you're happy to uh, sit down and have a chat. And there was also a claim made by uh, Lauren Dzensky of Politico, I think in our conversation right after the breakfast, that you were sort of making a power move and, and seizing a spot near the center of the stage, uh, even though that wasn't where you were supposed I, to be. By the way, can I you took confirm that as a compliment. Can you confirm or deny that that is, in fact, what you did? Uh, that that I, I made a power move that you, to change that, my seat. That you edged in, toward the center of the stage, uh, for, I, away from I, I your assigned say, seat near I the margin. I prefer to say walked um, towards the center of, of the stage because I, I knew part of my skit was about to come up. Yeah. Uh, and listen... Um, it, it is an amazing opportunity to uh, get to serve the city of Boston that made me the person that, that I am. So when it comes down to it, I, I've been having an amazing time um, going from every single neighborhood. Uh, I gotta, uh, I'm, I'm just going to rudely interrupt you right there yeah. because you are doing this and trying to get the entire city to pay attention at a time when so many people are consumed with what the federal government is yeah. doing and how... The governor and the mayor, who you're trying to unseat, yeah. are are pushing back at that. And, and it seems to me like Mayor Walsh, and I, I don't, I'm not saying he's doing this for opportunistic reasons. Yep. He has taken a number of very high-profile stands against the Trump administration, which I think have sucked some of the oxygen out of the mayor's race. But maybe I'm wrong well, because unlike, what I, what unlike I was, uh, you, I'm not running for mayor. Well, no, that's so. First off, I challenge you, the media, to actually cover it. Right, so the, you're, you're the local media, so it is uh, incumbent upon you to actually cover. Uh, and lo- that's what lo- we're doing. Lo- yeah, here we are. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, and uh, in, in addition, what, what I would what I would note um, is, I was first to state that Boston was a sanctuary city. Mayor Walsh came came second, and I really appreciate him coming along with that. Didn't you what, say Boston should become a sanctuary city? And then there was some talk about whether we already were one. And or we, not. we we I, well, I said it. I said it was, and then there was a de- de- there was debate as to whether or not we were right. So I what I would what I would say though is, if we really want to help uh, those folks who are immigrants, undocumented and documented, uh, a couple things that we we should do. We should actually focus on affordable housing because the people who are most vulnerable and getting pushed out of the city the fastest are uh, those folks who are, are immigrants, undocumented, and, and documented. If we want to be a sanctuary city, you don't do things like the Walsh administration did um, in turning cameras on people inside City Hall as they protested a development at the BPDA. That is not a sanctuary what city. What protest step. was that this where was people o- were filmed over, by the administration? Uh, a, a plan J.P. Rocks. Um, which is a, a plan that was being voted I, on. Isaiah Thompson covered it for us. Of yes. WGBH News' yep. data desk. Yep. Yes. Yep. So I think that is not one of the things. In addition, um, you, you wouldn't put forward a budget that zero funds adult education that funds most of the uh, ESOL, and those are English as a second language opportunities for adults. 30% of the population in the city of Boston actually can use these classes in their huge waiting list. So our values are shown in our budgets. And so what I would say is that our budget is a value statement, and as mayor of the city of Boston, I would show that everybody in the city of Boston is valued, especially those people who got kicked off of Long Island, especially those folks who are struggling to stay here in the city of Boston, working and uh, working families, uh, as well as those who are, who are doing well. So as you go around and you make your case for yes. why you should run the city, you do not hear Boston residents saying to you, 
Uh, sorry, Councillor Jackson. Oh. I, I'm so caught up in what the mayor said to Donald Trump the other day. I, 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 you know, come back another time. Boston residents care about Boston. They care about their streets. They care about their neighborhoods. And by the way, Boston residents, every single Boston resident cares about the five-year-old who was shot in Roxbury. And a young person in the city of Boston should be able to walk down Copeland Street in Roxbury, Center Street in Jamaica Plain, Center Street in, uh, in West Roxbury, but also uh, down here. We need to have a police department that's diverse, accountable, that wears body cams and uses the best technology uh, that, that we have, um, and, and uh, a police department that under my administration uh, would actually have much less overtime and, in fact, might actually probably have more officers because the uh, police budget generally has about 70 to $75 million in overtime, and we need to cut that number down. That's my private sector experience coming in. We got to stop the conversation there, but Councillor Tito Jackson, let's continue this because obviously there's a lot I more that we I can love talk you guys. about. I love you guys. So let's do this of again in a few do. weeks. Uh, maybe we can come out to your campaign headquarters if you'd oh, be amenable to that. Okay. Little field uh, field location. I, production. I, I, you know what? I like this. Good. I like this, You're and good. I can show you on um, one of the best steak bombs in, in the whole city of Boston. Where is this? Uh, actually, you're going to get me in trouble. There's, there's two in Dudley Square. That's okay. Um, Mention them so both. I, I, I live down. I live okay. about a mile away. Okay, so you're going to get me in trouble. So uh, there's Joe's Famous and there's Yuji's, which is right next door. And I think we should do a taste test in comparison oh, I like uh, while, while we're there. Very and so nice. I would advise you not to eat anything uh, for about 25 hours before. I'm in. And we'll see you next week because <laughs> that care. sounds fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Councillor Tito Jackson, candidate for Mayor of Boston, thank you for coming to the BPL to talk with us. <laughs> thank you so much. Peter Kadzis, as always, a pleasure to share space with you. Thank you, Adam. It's, I'm just thrilled to be here with you, too. And thanks to all <laughs> of our listeners. That will do it for this installment of The Scrum. You should subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't already. If you even moderately enjoy what we're doing, please leave a comment <laughs> while you're there. You can also hear our back episodes online at blogs.wgbh.org scrum and find us at various podcatchers. Our producer is Jason Tureski. I'm Adam Riley. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News. Mm-hmm.